Well, greetings and welcome back to Season 1, Episode 61 of the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name is Aaron Santemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. We have the phenomenal opportunity to to be back today with Vic Dick Foth on Back Channel with Foth. And we're going to dive into some questions that listeners have sent in. And then we'll jump into our interview with Ulrika Ernvik. And I know that I said her name wrong. And um, as we jump into the interview, she will say it correctly um, as we talk about the value of third culture kids and missionary kids and how we can help them live healthy, resilient, and whole lives. Dick, it's so excited to be excited, so excited to be back with you again today on Back Channel with Foth. And I with you. Thanks a million. First question the listener sent in, Dick, was what advice um, would you give to a new dating couple to ensure that their relationship is built on authenticity? If you consider that authenticity is essentially um, being a truth teller. Yeah. That's what being authentic is. Um, I would, I would start with making sure that I, who, and I'm speaking now from a male perspective, mm-hmm. uh, ask questions and ask the right kinds of questions. Nothing helps a relationship like each party feeling like the other party really is interested in them. Yeah. I have a friend, he's a retired professor now of speech communication in California. His name's Randy, and he's a Japanese American. And he told me the story one time. He said, I have a sister who's a stunner. This was 30 years ago. She's gorgeous. And guys like to date her. And so, and she's pretty particular. And so she used to have a thing where when a guy would come to the house, she'd get in the car, he'd close the door, they'd start driving. She would put her right hand down to her side by the door Mm -hmm. and he'd start talking. And she would start counting in the first 10 or 15 minutes how many times he said, I, me, or my. Wow. And if it got up there to, you know, (laughs) 8, 10, 15, 20, she knew... This was going to be a long evening, and she knew that this was never going to work. Wow. Because it was all about him. So if you're in a dating relationship, it isn't all about the other person, but it's a lot about the other person. Because you know who you are. You're trying to find out who they are. So so that's for starters. Ask questions that can't be answered yes or no. That's good. Like, tell me about your family. Yeah. Where did or where did where did your grandparents on both sides come from? You know, mm. or talk to me about your siblings or yeah. what? So so that's one place to start. So the short way of saying that is ask questions, but also tell the truth about what you know, about what you think, and what you feel, whatever the subject is. Mm. And you've heard me say this before on the podcast, but it's sort of I'm sort of a Johnny One Note on this is sometimes we talk about telling the truth, but we don't look at it in terms of uh, layers of truth. Mm. And um, what I know about Richard Foth is that he's a guy on his 79th trip around the sun, and he doesn't look like he did when he was 42. Okay, so that's what I know. What I think about that is that this is a pretty good season. A lot of good stuff happens in the last 
quarter of the game. So I'm yeah. counting on that. What I feel is that I just don't have the energy that I had when I was 42. So mm. all of those three things are true. Yeah. But they're true at different levels. Okay. Yeah. And then I would also say, take your time in the dating process. You say, well, I'm 34 and I don't, you know, I don't have as much time. No, you don't have as much time, but if you call it wrong, you got a lot of time on the other end and it's not going to be as good. So, so take your time and try to see each other in as many different situations as you can. Hmm. Now, again, that's not always the easiest thing to do, but seeing, um, seeing each other in different locations or in different contexts gives you a view of the other person that's just helpful in understanding them. That's good. That's good. Dick, this, this question is kind of on the, on the same lines. What, will, what are the dis- essential things that should be or should be or would be good to be discussed before marriage? I would say the primary thing is your family story. You are a result of your family. Hmm. And and you may not like your family story. You may have, most of us have uh, potholes in our family story, depending on how how far back you want to go. You know, you don't have to go very far before you find pirates and horse thieves. I'm just saying, (laughs) I'm speaking from experience here. You know, Ruth and I both have some Irish roots, and we went there years ago, and we said we're looking for for family and genealogy stuff. And the Irish response was almost always the same. Are you sure you want to be doing that? (laughs) 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 We were looking for the money and found out that pirates stole it. So so your family story, both your, your, just the, just the things, what are, what are your, what are the values in your family? What, yeah. what did they think were important and, yeah. and what were the biggest challenges for you and your teenage, you know, all those kinds of things. So that's one piece. The other thing is how, how did your family communicate hmm. and how do you communicate in terms of good things, challenging things, uh, because communication is the heart of life, not just the heart of marriage. How we talk to each other or don't talk to each other, how we act toward each other, which is an act of communication, is really a key. You know, there was an article written by a Canadian back in 1961 by the name of Marshall McLuhan entitled, The Medium is the Message. And essentially, for me, that means how you do what you do is the communication. You can say whatever you want with your words, but how you say it is the real message. I, uh, I did a wedding for a couple, some years ago, and the young guy came to see me like within months, within three or four months. And I said, how's it going? He said, it's not going too well. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, we just have trouble communicating, talking to each other. And I said, well, if, if you're having trouble talking to each other, you're probably having trouble with money sex and in-laws and he looked at me with wide eyes and said bingo 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 how did you know that i said well i'm just so deep you know i well you don't have to be deep to know that that money sex and in-laws is my life and if we don't communicate about that or communicate well then that's going to take a hit right off the bat 
Wow. That's all I got. No, there you go. Good. That's good. Dick, really appreciate it once again. Our time with Back Channel with Foth. We're going to go ahead and jump into our interview with Ulrika Ernvik. And uh, is she so kind with me as I mispronounce it every time? We discuss her book, Third Culture Kids, A Gift to Care For. It's a book Heather and I both have went through and um, valued as we look at it as we're raising two third culture kids. And my wife is also a third culture kid and learned so much from Rica, and uh, I know you will too. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Well, greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to be here today um, with somebody I have read her book um, over, and then I read it again, and then I read it again. Um, growing up in a, not growing up, living in a house where I'm the only non-TCK. Um, my wife was born and raised in Zimbabwe, and my kids have been uh, growing up here in Madagascar. Ulrika, um, I'm going to allow you to say your last name because I'm, I'm not going to say it correct, but I'm so excited to be with you here today. Would you share a little bit about yourself with the audience and then maybe say your name correctly um, so it doesn't sound like this boy from West Virginia trying to say your name? Thank you, Aaron. I'm happy to be here with you. Uh, yes, my name is Ulrika Anvik. Uh, I'm holding a Swedish passport and my first language is Swedish, uh, but I grew up in the Congo as my parents were missionaries there. Wow. And uh, as an adult, I married a guy who wanted to be a missionary and I wanted to be that myself as well. So we moved to Thailand and we have been raising five kids in Thailand and in Sweden. Wow. Uh, last Sunday. And we are now living in Sweden. Great. And I am a social worker and a family therapist who has been working with TCKs for a long time. Yeah. What was life like growing up in the Congo? Oh, um, it was good in many ways. Um, yeah. I think the hardest part was to return to Sweden. Hmm. Wow. Just the transition back to, back to Sweden and Swedish life, huh? Yeah, the transition back when I was 13 years old. Wow. That's a critical time. A critical time. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things I loved about your book was um, giving the, the definitions you shared about what a TCK, um, that, what that definition looked like. And then you also broke it down to CCKs and global nomads. Could you share uh, with the audience this, what some of those terms mean and, um, before we dive into, more into our conversation? Yes, the definition of third culture kids is quite old. Uh, it was Ruth Unseen, I think her name was, that uh, found or developed that term in the 50s. But then Ruth Van Reken and David Pollock defined it even more in the 80s and 90s when they wrote their book, Third Culture Kids. And it's also Ruth Van Reken who has seen later that uh, we need also to talk about cross-culture kids. Hmm. And cross-culture kids, they are the kids who grow up in between cultures but are not moving. The third culture kids are growing up in between cultures and are moving in between the cultures back and forth. Very interesting. Very interesting. And global nomads could theoretically be adults as well who are moving. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, I use it as a term specifically for the kids who have been moving. And I use it. 
I like the sound of global nomads. <laughs> uh, the definition of third culture kids is a good definition, but the term third makes me always feel like an outsider, sort of. Mm. You know, the third wheel or something like that. So, yes, it's the third culture kids defines very well what it is about because the third in that term is about the third culture that we develop as we mm. move in between cultures. Um, so it's a good definition, but global nomads could be used as well. Yeah. So, and you say you, you pre- I think you shared in the book that you prefer the global nomads um, is a, a term that um, maybe doesn't have the uh, uh, stereotypes with it. Would that be, would that, it's more of a positive leaning? Would that be your, your take? Yes. And I think the word nomad describes so well uh, the struggle with setting down our roots. Hmm. Uh, so I think, yeah. I, and, and I'm also very, uh, picture person so yeah. the global nomad gives me once a picture and yeah. an emotion yeah. what it is about no that's good that's good you know one of the other things that you highlighted in there in the definitions was a significant amount of time and um if in a different culture is there a number of years or is that significance does that come down to the the individual for them to decide what's significant and is it yeah, that's just a question I had as I, I read through your book. Yes, I think it's very much about letting each person define what is significant to them. Okay. Um, because I met with some people, they have lived overseas for four months and it became very significant for them. Okay. Uh, so we need to respect the history of each person and their experience and emotions around that. That's good. That's good. And so as you work as a, you shared that you're a therapist and a social worker, what are some of the common concerns um, parents like me have about, um, have and for their global nomads or their TC case? Uh, I think the concerns parents have are, um, will my kids thrive in the yeah. new setting? Will they get friends? Uh, yeah. Will they be able to do well in school? And what kind of school should we try to find for them? Um, Yes, these are the concerns parents have. And they are concerned when they see that the children are not doing well. Mm. Um, They might not have that much of concerns before because before we move somewhere parents are so busy with everything that needs to be prepared and planned for so it's more like when we start to see oh my child is not doing that well then the concerns are coming yeah what are some questions um as a social worker and as a therapist what are some questions that parents it would be valuable for them to ask before they get to the field or before they get to their field of service. What, what are some questions they could be asking um, for further, further children before they get to the field? I think the most important is what are my long-term goals for my child? Hmm. So as we move now, um, what, what, how can we plan long-term? Yeah. 
because I often feel like I need to remind parents about that there's only one country, or some people have two countries, your passport country. Only country you know for sure that your child can do his university studies and live in as uh, grown up. And whatever we do during our time overseas need to uh, focus on the time when we're going to move to the passport country. Yeah. And so parents should be asking the long-term goals and, um, and should keep that in mind um, from the beginning. Is that, is that what yes. I hear you saying? Yes. Okay. Because that will affect decisions about schooling options, about uh, language, about friends, about everything. Yeah, that's great. That's great. You also share that um, a TCK or global nomad is different um, wherever they're at. And um, I think that's, you know, I grew up in a small town in, in West Virginia where everyone looked like me. Everyone knew my parents, um, walked down the road. No one pointed out the color of my skin or the color of my hair because we look, we all looked alike. Um, but my kids, you know, living in Madagascar, they, they stick out. I mean, they really do. Um, and you share that wherever they're at, they're different. And then also um, sometimes kids will associate that with being different, meaning that there's something wrong with me. Um, what are some of the reactions that you see with, um, with kid, with students and children when they feel that sense that something's wrong with me? Um, they can, they can start, well, when, when children are struggling with something, many of them act out. So you can see a difference in behaviors. They're acting mm -hmm. out. They are uh, tired. They don't eat or yeah, anything. Mm. Um, but you can also see that they want to change themselves. Okay. Uh, like being a European in Asia, you can see that the children might want to make themselves smaller to be able mm. to. There are no clothes in their size, sort of. Uh, they might want to change their way of dressing or their hairstyle or kids try most kids want to fit in and yeah. do things to fit in um, and it can also be about behaviors uh, the other way they can do is to try to be even more opposite hmm. because okay i am different so why not make me even more different yeah and so they can go in that direction as well. Yeah. And as you work with, um, with, with, with students and, and children, what wisdom and advice do you, how do you walk them through that process and to process those, um, the difference between um, different and there's something wrong with me? How do you help them process that? The most important that children always need is to have present adults, present parents who are there for them. Hmm. who see what they are struggling with, who feel with them, who help them to verbalize what they are going through. Um, it can be very hard for a parent to start to ask a child questions because that can be very stressful for a child. Hmm. So I encourage parents to send bubbles, as I call it. Okay. You, as a parent, if you see or have an idea about, oh, my child is struggling with this, uh, then you can send a bubble like when you pass by, not expecting any kind of conversation, but just like, oh, I sometimes feel like I look very different in this country. Hmm. And then you have sent a bubble that the child can 
grasp if they feel like, oh, mom verbalized something that I'm going through right now. And then you can see that the child will come back a few days later and say, mom, I feel so different. Yeah. And then you have an opening to a good conversation. About that. Yeah. And, and sending those bubbles, is that something we should do frequently or is that just as, should that be organically as things arise or um, for me, you know, I'll be honest, as I've shared, I'm not a TCK or global nomad. And so this is all new for me and I want to learn, but to, as you said, sometimes it can be, as a parent, it can kind of feel awkward. Do you have any more wisdom on sending those bubbles? Yes, you can send these bubbles as a way of living. Hmm. And this is not only for parents of TCKs. This is what all parents can do as they see that their children are struggling with something or there are a lot of emotions going on. And so so it's a way of parenting. Okay. Um, and so this idea of belonging, you, you shared about that and then we, we've talked about that. What are some essential things that parents would need to know about the, the sense of belonging and why belonging is so important to their children um, at this time as they're living um, in another culture? It's like breathing. If we don't feel like we belong, we'll die, sort of. We need mm-hmm. to feel safe and we need to feel that we belong. We need to feel that we belong to our family, but also to a larger group. Okay. So whatever the parents can do to make themselves feel like they belong will help the child because that will make the child feel safe. Oh, my parents are belonging to this group or to this community. Mm-hmm. Um, but also to help the child to get his own sense of belonging, meaning that people know me, they know my name, they know what family I belong to. Uh, I know where to go and buy an ice cream. I know how to behave in school. I know how to say at least a few things so I can find my way home or whatever if something would happen. Um, there is food that I like and I know how to find it and so on. Yeah. What are some things that you've seen in parents that maybe they've tried to help their f- kids feel like they're belonging, but actually that that's not, that's, it doesn't necessarily work. Cause I think sometimes we learn from people's mistakes, or at least I do learn from people's mistakes and helps me know, Hey, that's not oh. something I should try to do. Sometimes parents are forcing their children to go to national school and to mm-hmm. learn the natural language, but that can sometimes make the children feel even more that they don't belong as they are different. Wow. So we need to be very sensitive to what this specific child needs the most to have a sense of belonging, because that can be different from child to child, even within one family. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, but, but be sensitive and not force children into different groups. Yeah. And, and to not force them to, to, to hear what they're saying and, and move with that. Mm-hmm. You know, I think um, with, with our kids, uh, a challenge has, has been. It's been, um, you know, they, they did go to a national school and they were one of, well, those four or five kids from, that were not from Madagascar that were at the school. And um, it was a challenge and um, it was a struggle. And um, it, was, it was hard for me because I had never experienced that myself. You know what I mean? I, it was, and so 
if you've never, as a parent that has never experienced that, what are some of the emotions that are going through a, a child's mind? Because like I said, I, I started school with everybody that I grew up with and I ended school with the same people and there was no transition. There was no, uh, we knew everybody, all that. And so it's been hard for me to understand what are some of the things that it, that it would, would help a parent that maybe is not a TCK raising TCKs when it comes to this um, about belonging? We need to be aware about the child might feel different. The child might not understand things, one, because of language, but also even if they understand the language, the culture can be very different. Uh, I often ask parents, because when parents are coming new to country, maybe they start language school like two hours a day, Mm-hmm. But we put our kids in a culture of, of that country and we expect them to be there six or seven or sometimes eight hours a day. Hmm. And I think that's not fair because wow. we know as grown-ups that two hours per day is really draining us. Wow. But we expect our kids to be in that situation for many more hours. Yeah, that's good. So it's, it's about trying to put myself in my child's shoes yeah. and, and feel like, what, what would it be like to sit there and not understand the language? Or what, what might it be like to see my parents or my peers being hit by the teacher, which is very common in many countries? Hmm. Um, yeah, there are a lot of situations that might be very tricky for a child. <clears throat> wow. Wow. One of the other things I thought um, was valuable in, in the book is many valuable parts, but you share about how parents can help their TCK weave different parts of their story into one story and one life. And the importance of not, at least if I, my interpretation of that was it's not a disintegrated life, but it's an integrated life where everything is intertwined together. Can you share um, how, how parents can, can help their children in that process of not having a life here and a life there, but actually one life? One thing is to carry with us some belongings that mm-hmm. signify our home and wherever we live, these are important yeah. things in our home. So it's important also to let kids bring some toys themselves so they can set up their room Mm -hmm. wherever they're coming. Uh, One is to uh, be in touch with people from different places on a regular basis and have Skype, Zoom, FaceTime uh, with friends. And One is to talk about friends and family and to show that they are important to us. Even though we live far away, they're part of our lives. Mm-hmm. Then there are a few activities we can do with our kids and uh, that I present in the book as well. And uh, the main idea is that all activities that help us to put all the different pieces of our lives in one piece of paper is helpful. And this can seem very simplified in one way, but it's very powerful for the brain. Yeah like uh, the magic track where we travel around in different places where we have been living and we load the track with things from all the places and they are on one piece of paper <clears throat> in one magic track. And it's something very healing with that. Yeah. And another one is to do a timeline <clears throat> mm-hmm. where we include all the countries where we have been living, all the people we have met, all the houses where we have lived, the schools we have been going to, and so on. And we put it on a long piece of paper, and we can see, oh, 
this is my life. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's connected. Yeah, that's, 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 and those activities then the parents can do with their, with their children and do together. Um, it, you know, I think is we, but my wife, um, she is very intentional when it comes to this area. She's read your book. And so we've walked through some of those activities with our kids. And sometimes they like, they roll their eyes, you know, they're teenagers. But at the same time, it's interesting, the conversations that arise yeah. after, you yeah. know, during the, yeah. during the activity, it's kind of like, oh, why are we doing this? But it's be, it's interesting to hear the conversations that arise after mm-hmm. the activity. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've really appreciated it. And it's been valuable um, to, mm-hmm. to be able to unpack. And why are we talking about this? Why did we do that activity? And those mm-hmm times um we've been able to go deeper and it's been uh, it's been very important very important for us you mentioned about the brain and um you know it, it, it's very important for the brain is it stressful on the brain to be going through these transitions and this sense of belonging does it pr- create more stress on the brain or, or but you said it was important so i guess that's why i'm just trying to drill down a little bit on the importance It's stressful to the brain because um, the brain, one of the main jobs for the brain is to uh, prepare us for danger and to send warning signals when danger is coming up. And the little amygdala in the brain that is spying out for danger is uh, understanding new things as danger Hmm. until the difference is shown. So when we come to a new place, the amygdala is working very hard because there are a lot of new things. Um, and that's why a child might not want to go to a new restaurant or try some new food or <clears throat> go to a new school or play with new friends because amygdala is saying, oh, this could be dangerous, this could be dangerous, until we know that it's not. Yeah. Um, and as the brain then is working very hard for a few months until everything has settled down, the brain might not really have the time to work on some other things that normally the child's brain should work with in that time of life because a child's brain is always work, working very hard to learn, to develop. So you can see that some children are stopping in their development or even going back mm-hmm. uh, because it's just too overwhelming with all this adjusting. Yeah. And in your experience, do do. Do children catch back up or does that, is there, are they able to process? Cause you say a lot, it, it, they're taking this time, the brain's taking this time to process the transition, the belonging, and they maybe less time on what the, if they were in their home country or passport country, it might be working. Do they eventually, does it catch back up or does that put a kid at a disadvantage from, from the start? Most of us, they do catch up. Um, traveling back and forth and what support they get to catch up in between. What you can see, and it's again a question about what is catching up. Yes, they, they might catch up academically and motorical and so, but you can see that if the amygdala has to work very hard for a long period of time, that can develop into anxiety. Hmm. Um, so, that is what you can see sometimes anxiety or depression depression is the tiredness of having to adjust adjust yeah. adjust yeah 
That's for sure. Well, I know as a, as adult, um, I found myself tired, uh, frequently, um, adjusting to a new country. And, um, it was a struggle to be very honest with me because with you, because I wanted to function like I was in my passport country where I grew up and thought that I was gonna be able to function at that level of energy, but the, all the new things that were going on and processing just how to, the people to drive and, and all the things I don't think a whole lot about when I'm in America became a something that I had to process yeah. the language, the the culture, the, 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 and so I found myself exhausted. And um, but very valuable point about you sharing about our kids and putting them in school. I know I'm coming back, but that's something that um, I never thought about and um, very yeah. important. And and as I guess as a parent, you you raise your kids and then you learn some of these things too late in life. But um, anyway, it's, you always do. <laughs> That's I, part of being parent. It is. It is. What I, I also the, say that kids have a hard work to teach their parents. Yeah. <laughs> the, the hard work in the family is not about the parents teaching the kids. It's about the kids teaching their parents. It is. And um, and because um, when I'm, at least I'll speak for myself, I'm hardheaded. So it takes a lot more to get the message in there. So one of the activities that we've done together as a family is a transition bridge. Um, we, we did that in our living room. My wife had all the steps and we, we, we walked, we did the whole thing, um, with, I have a daughter who's 16, a son who's 14. And it was one of those things, activities that I said that when we were doing it, they're like, what are we, what is mom doing? Why are we doing this in the middle of the living room? But we've had conversation after conversation after conversation after it. Could you share what a, a transition bridge is and maybe what that looks like and the importance of, of, of having something, a visual um, like that. Yes. So the idea of the transition bridge is coming from Marion Nell's book, Families on the Move. And I've been using it a lot. And you can adjust it a little bit as you wish. Uh, but um, you have a picture in my book or on my website. I don't have a picture with me right now. But it's mainly a concept of knowing that you move from one sense of belonging to another sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. And to move from that sense of belonging to the new sense of belonging, there are a few steps that you need to walk on to be able to settle down over here. Mm-hmm. And if you don't walk these steps, sometimes you just want to jump from there to here, but we will never settle down really. Here. Mm. So briefly, the steps are about... Uh, you have the stone of belonging, you have the stone of belonging, but then you need to prepare mm-hmm. uh, and plan you need to have realistic expectations you start to say goodbyes and when you start to say goodbyes you might also withdraw because mm-hmm. it starts to be painful and also your focus is on the f- what's going place where you're going to yeah uh, and then you need to say goodbye to people and you grieve yeah and then in the midst of it, you have the chaos. Mm-hmm. And I used to say that's a time when kids don't want to be among their parents because they are quiet. Come to the new place, you need to observe and find friends, find mentors, find people to understand. You need to learn new skills. And eventually you will get a new sense of belonging. Yeah. And most people find it takes about a year to move on the bridge until wow. you find a new sense of belonging. And 
and it's not that you need to walk these steps in that right order, but you need to walk them. But sometimes you jump back and forth mm -hmm. and sometimes you can feel like the chaos is all over and that's totally normal. What we also need to know is that there is a river under the bridge mm. and that's a river of emotions. Hmm. And there might be high emotions and low emotions. Yeah. And transition time is always very emotionally, which can be very tiring. But emotions also mean that that's a great time for connecting. Hmm. Because if we can share the emotions with each other, we will connect on a deeper level. So it wow. can be the most beautiful time in a family's life, but it can also be the hardest if we're not able to share the emotions. Hmm. So if a family has this visual of the bridge, they can understand that, yes, we're doing an important work and we might be on different steps as a family. Hmm. And the emotions are there to help us to adjust. And if we can share the emotions, connect with each other, this can be a really great time. Wow. And so as you shared about that, so if I understood correctly, it's not like it's a progression. I go to this step, this step, this step. You could actually maybe go to one step and maybe come back. Is that, is that correct? And is that common? Yes. It, common in the process? Yes. It's very common that we jump back and forth. And that's why we can be on different steps within the same family. Hmm. So one family shared with me that they put a picture of the bridge on their fridge and move themselves to the different stones steps they moved. So then the family members could see, oh, mom is there, dad is there, I'm here. Okay, no question that we uh, yeah, it's are good. Uh, arguing or that we don't understand each other. Yeah, no, that's good. And the vi I think the visual part of it is, is, is very, very valuable to be able to visualize that and see that and um, to know where everybody's at is, uh, it was valuable. It's been valuable for our family and just really wanted to thank you um, yeah. um, for that and just the idea. And like I said, my teenage, uh, my teenagers weren't so enthusiastic about doing it in the beginning, but it has been such a blessing um, for yeah. Heather and I as we've tried to process yeah. with our kids. And Thank you, Aaron, for sharing that, because I think some parents might think when they read through the books, oh, will I be able to lead my family through these activities? And as you say, sometimes the kids can roll their eyes and wonder, what is this about? But my experience is as soon as you're into it, they just love it, and it's so meaningful to them, especially for teenagers. Yeah. Uh, so a good encouragement to parents to just move on, and you will get it. And the other part of it is my wife shared with me in the beginning, if you're, if you participate in this, the kids will participate. But if you, yes, if you, yes. if you do not participate and you stand with your arms crossed, they're not going to participate. Yep. No. And so it was very good. She's a, she's, grown up uh, overseas and it was valuable for me is the mm -hmm. husband to say, you know, if we want this to be for the good of our family and for the good of the kids, I need to participate. I can't say, mm -hmm. um, why are we doing this? And so, mm -hmm. but it was, it was super, super valuable for us. Um, what are the most, you list some, I know we don't have a, a time to go through all of them, but maybe one or two of the most important actions parents can, can um, take to help their, their children transition well. Um, is to prepare them in different ways, um, mainly by uh, listening to them, um, uh, be sensitive to what they are going through, Sh spend time with the kids so the children feel that 
because for a child to share about something, they need to have time with a parent uh, so they know that it's safe to share something. And the children need to see that my parents are ready to receive whatever I share with them. Hmm. So I think, yeah, the most important is to, in the midst of all preparation and everything, make time for children. Yeah. Uh, play soccer, ride bicycles, uh, pack together, do things together. together. Yeah. You said listen, like, and listen is an easy word to say, but it's a hard, mm-hmm. it's, as a parent, it's a hard one to do. So what I hear you saying is we don't need to solve all the problems. We just need to listen to hear what they're saying. Would that be correct? Yes, it is. Okay. All right. We yeah. cannot solve all the problems and children can thrive and do well in all kinds of situations if they just know that the parents are there for them and they're not lonely. Wow. Wow, that's good. One last question for you before we um, close in prayer. You talk about hidden losses and... Um, I, the hidden part, I think, is the part of as a as a father is. I'm thinking um, we're missing something, you know. <laughs> but could you just share a minute or two about hidden losses and um, and why these are these are important and things that we need to consider? Yeah, so hidden losses are the losses that are not visible, like the loss of identity or the loss mm. of status uh, or the loss of mirrors. Hmm. Mirrors meaning the eyes of people who know me. Because people who know me, they, I can look in their eyes and faces and they will help me to remind me about who I am. Hmm. And if I don't have these people around, I might forget who I am. I might lose my identity. Hmm. Um, but it can also be about that in this place, I was the best goalie in the soccer team. When I come to a new place, I might not even... And who am I then? Yeah. Or uh, in this school, I had the status of being best in math. Yeah. But in a new school, I have no idea what math they are doing <laughs> in this place. <laughs> and, and the creepy thing with these hidden losses is that we might not really realize them until a few months later. Hmm. Because the loss of uh, friends and maybe we have to leave things behind or we leave a place where we like these losses are very real when we uh, go up and take the plane. Yeah. But these other losses, hmm, it's not until we have been in a new place for three or four months that we realize, oh man, this is a big grief wow. in losing these things. Yeah. Oh, that was good. It was a little unsettling, to be honest with you. Um, but uh, at the same time, it was valuable just to know and to learn about it. And um, as I think is apparent, at least for me, um, I'll own it. You know, you want to try to open up everything and see all those things. And I think when it comes for your children, you don't want there to be hidden things. You want to put it out in the open so you can help um, bring clarity to it. But at the same time, it's uh, God is in control and we trust in him. And um I appreciate so much your wisdom and insight. We'll put a link in the show notes for people to get your your, your book and, your, and for your website and your resources. And I really appreciate you investing in missionaries around the world. Is, um, this is a common uh, challenge for, for parents. And um, we just it's been valuable for our family. And we really appreciate you and um, your efforts. And I know writing a book is not easy in any way, shape, or form. But so we thank you for what you've done and the work you've put together to help parents. Um, 
like me. Would you pray for us today that God will use our conversation to encourage um, parents wherever they're at? I would. And you are in the homes of all the people who are listening to this. And you are there to remind them about how precious they are to you, each one of them. Uh, I pray that you will um, give wisdom to the parents, joy to the families, and uh, that the children will see that in the midst of what they are going through, not only their parents, but also you are there with them. Uh, I pray for Aaron and his work in doing this podcast and for his family. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.